So if we can just keep those materials in circulation, we can clothe the planet. Are you ready to be the change you want to see in the world? Are you ready to make choices that have a positive impact on your daily life, your community, and the planet? You are in the right place. I'm Anne-Therese Gennari. And I'm Robin Shaw. And this is the Hate Change Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Hey Change Podcast. Today we are taking a deep dive into the fashion industry and to explore how recycled materials technology can lead us into the future of sustainable fashion. We spoke with two innovators in the field, Harold Cavalli-Bjerkman, the Chief Marketing Officer and Head of Investor Relations at RenewCell, and the CFO of Cirque, Luke Henning. This is a really exciting and timely conversation because just recently we learned that New York could make history with a Fashion Sustainability Act. New York Times says the state would be the first to pass legislation setting broad sustainability regulations for the industry. Now, this would include 12 to 18 months to comply with directives and impact disclosures and the New York Attorney General would also publish an annual list of companies found to be non-compliant, and any fines would go to the new Community Development Fund by the Department of Environmental Conservation and be used for environmental justice projects. This level of transparency and action is amazing. Truly amazing. And so we are so excited to share these two conversations with you. And I know you're going to be amped when you hear what the future of fashion holds and how companies like RenewCell and Cirque are making that future a reality. First up, we have Harold from RenewCell, a sustainable tech company from Sweden that patented a process to efficiently create pulp made from 100% recycled cotton clothing, and it's called Circulos. RenewCell is a Swedish-based textile-to-textile recycling company. What we do is that we, we own a couple of patents around a process for taking the cellulose polymers out of the cotton textiles that are wasted and making them back into a raw material that can be used for making virgin quality cellulosic textile fibers like viscose or lyosol. And that's something that hasn't been done before. We're first to do this with a 100% textile input. Currently, we're, um, we're building a commercial scale plant for this production. So we've been producing for a while in a small plant in a small town called Kristinehamn in Sweden uh, since 2018. But now, starting middle of next year, we'll be doing 10 times as much recycling uh, in this new plant that we're also building in Sweden on the Baltic Sea coast. Now, what that means for fashion is that we well, can take your worn out, worn out old clothes or the um, scraps that is always left over from production and put it back into the value chain again, thus avoiding using virgin resources like cotton, which you know, uses tremendous amounts of water and land to be produced, or polyester, which needs a whole lot of oil, of course. It's an oil-based uh, material but also energy and it creates microplastics because it's non-biodegradable. Every time you wash it, it washes out um, 
microplastics and also replace uh, well, virgin viscose that can have a pretty terrible impact on because it's made of wood. So forestry and deforestation and the um, impact on biodiversity that results from that. So we're in a very exciting phase right now, taking that step from demo scale production up to real commercial scale production to start closing the loop on, on a, in a massive way. We were both so excited to hear about the progress being made at RenewCell. They are at the forefront of fabric recycling in the fashion industry, which is notorious for waste. Currently, it's still cheaper to make fabrics out of blended materials. Petroleum-based materials bring the price down. We've also gotten used to the soft feel and stretch of blended fabrics, and blended fabrics have become increasingly common, and they are also more challenging to recycle. It's important to note that RenewCell is recycling the cellulose specifically, so only the cotton portion. I don't know about you, but I'm seeing a lot of brands say things like, made with recycled materials, and it sounds so easy. Of course, everything should just be made with recycled materials. But what we're seeing is that from fast fashion to luxury brands, virgin materials are still what we predominantly see in our clothes. The reason why it's basically all virgin or a lot of virgin materials is because of the quality aspect of the garments. We've grown accustomed to you know, the touch of a fresh cotton t-shirt or fresh any other type of fiber because until the, now the developing kind of chemical recycling processes such as ours, we've only been able to recycle, for example, cotton by shredding the materials and then immediately trying to spin a new yarn out of it. And you inevitably get a shortening of the fiber in, in the garment, the average length of each fiber that goes into the yarn. So that means you're going to have a weaker product or you're going to have a product that has a different hand feel. It's not going to be as uniform in color. It's not going to be as uniform in its, in, in its, um, in its characteristics generally. So that means that it's, I mean, you don't necessarily need to call it a quality downgrade. It's a quality difference from the virgin stuff, which means it gets not selected if you put it out and try to, you know, convince your regular shopper to to take this T-shirt instead of that. So what the industry has done with recycled cotton, at least mechanically recycled cotton, is they just realize that they need to blend in a lot of virgin materials in order to get that kind of hand feel and quality that, that they need. Now, Circulose kind of solves that by being of the virgin quality length of the fiber. It's a man-made fiber. We've gone down to the polymer level in the recycling It dissolved it and then put it back together again, basically, the polymer chains to get the right length of the fiber. It's been a product quality problem until now. Now, you, you might find in, in stores a lot of recycled polyester. Uh, but what's important to know about recycled polyester is that it's not textiles. It's not clothes that have been recycled into new clothes. It's plas clear plastic bottles. It solves the waste issue for the packaging industry. And you get one more use out of it as a piece of clothing. But that is not going to be recycled into a new piece of clothing. Hopefully, it won't cause too much microplastics as you wear it and wash it, because that's what polyester clothing do, whether it's recycled or not, and uh, disposed of in some <laughs> good way, at least in the end, not burnt, because that adds CO two. 
But that, that's most of the recycled content you see in stores today will be uh, recycled polyester. One of the reasons I love doing this podcast is how we get to learn from amazing thought leaders and innovators. At the time of this conversation with Harold, we were all under the impression that it is impossible to recycle petroleum-based fabrics like polyester. Because up until very recently, it has been. When you see a polyester garment with a tag that says it's been recycled, what that actually means is recycled clear plastic bottles. Later in the episode, you'll hear some very good news, however, when it comes to advances in recycling mixed fabrics. And if you'd like to learn more about microplastics and why they're so harmful, check out episode 79 of the Hate Change podcast, where we go over microplastics 101 with the one and only Madeline McIlroy. And one of the things that we can do as consumers and mindful citizens is to shop for clothing made from natural fabrics like cotton and linen. And keep your eye out for some of the newer sustainable tech materials too, like lensing, tensile, and refibra. Renew Cell recycles cotton to make a sustainable viscose, and they are helping replace virgin materials in the value chain. They are currently building a 60,000 ton plant to help tackle the 110 million tons of virgin fibers that are consumed globally. Renew Cell was founded in 2012, and we asked Harold, who joined the company in 2017, what kinds of changes they have seen over the years. Our founders, they were very visionary seeing this opportunity all the way back in 2011. But uh, it's really in the last two to three years that, that the, uh, that the um, intensity and, and kind of anxiety, you know, and there's a society-wide feeling around we need to act now. And fashion companies have really kind of, they started out basically doing the pronouncements about, you know, going to 100% recycled or 100% green by X date. And now they're kind of figuring out how that will happen. It felt like a long way forward when you made that those kind of commitments in 2015, 2016. But now we're getting closer. We're into the 2020s. And, uh, you know, now it's time to deliver on that. Technology such as ours, it's hardware-based. We need to actually have machinery running these processes. We also need to have people running them. So it's a lot of CapEx and a lot of people. We need money to scale. And that is a big change also in just the last one to two years. The money kind of, their capital and investment willing capital kind of starting to flow into this space. Uh, Where we've been on, on, we were listed, we did our IPO in November, 2020. And we've had a lot of great support and interest, both from retail investors and institutions in, in you know, put investing in this shift that we're doing right now. So that's another key part of, of really getting off the ground now. And yeah, let's, it, it, we can't, we need to accelerate actually, it's a bit late, but, but yeah, keep going. Yeah, I was really interested to learn that last November, H&M announced a five-year commitment to replace virgin fiber with recycled textiles made from circulose. And they've already purchased 10,000 tons of recycled pulp. And currently, H&M requirements for a garment to be part of their conscious collection is quite low. Um, This is a direct quote from their website. At least 50% of each piece is made from more sustainable materials like organic cotton or recycled polyester. 
The only exception is recycled cotton, which for quality reasons can only make up 20% of the product. And I was curious about how, you know, if they're working with you with uh, Circulose, does the five-year commitment mean that they're striving towards 100% recycled textiles across the board? Or, or do you know more about that? Well, it's always best to, to ask H&M directly about their, uh, about their goals and how they, how they think about achieving them. But, but I, know, I mean, there, it's a state of the fact that they have a goal for 2030 to 100% recycled or other sustainably sourced materials. So that's definitely 100% is, is in their communications. And the deal that we have with them is, is great. It really, it, it's a five-year delivery agreement that we have with them towards the end. And it's also phased uh, as we build out our capacity. We only have very small production right now. So it's toward the end of that, we're going to be at 10,000 tons per year delivered to H&M. And this type of deal, uh, called an offtake agreement, where you sign a contract for delivery of materials in the future, that's the model that we feel is the best way to getting uh, innovations such as ours off the ground and into scaling. Because that means we can go to we can go to the banks and uh, say, look, we have cash flow in the future here. Help us finance the factory we need to build to deliver on that contract. And we can return an investment on that. So, so that's a great you know, part of our scaling efforts is being able to sign these types of deals with brands uh, so that we can actually finance the machinery. On their sustainability gu- guidelines, once again, it's best to ask them uh, about their thinking around that. But on the recycled cotton part, 20% recycled cotton, that does not concern our product. So that's 20% due to the fact what I described earlier about the fact that uh, mechanically recycled cotton can only go so high in a piece of garment be- before you start losing quality way too much. So that's why they have that limit. We don't fall under the recycled cotton category because we... It becomes complicated now. Our pulp goes, it's recycled cotton, but it goes into viscose manufacturing. So you get a viscose fiber on the other end. Currently, due to the low scale that we have, our product is blended with FSC certified wood pulp. So that means it's what's currently available is 50% post-consumer recycled materials uh, and 50% certified wood fibers. And that was the composition of the dress we put out together with uh, H&M in, in uh, March of 2020 last year and which we've been following up with a number of launches after that. But yeah, uh, the goal should be 100%. Um, no, no question about it. And we hope to, as soon as possible, be able to put out the 100% recycled fiber. That's what we're all working towards. And uh, once we're there, you know, it's just keep going, <laughs> scale it up. It's interesting because when I was, you know, doing research for this conversation, I had this question come up of like, why H&M? You know, like there's so many different brands or, you know, smaller up and comers. Um, H&M is sort of, they're sort of notorious for greenwashing and, you know, they've been problematic with not signing the um, International Accord on Health and Safety, which they thankfully did sign recently, you know, due to a lot of public pressure. So it's, it's H&M is one of these brands that they're, um, they're a trailblazer, they're a disruptor, but they also, you know, like us as individual humans, they're very nuanced and they're doing some things really well and some things perhaps not so well. Um, and so I was thinking like, why H&M? And, you know, what seems to be emerging for me through our conversation is 
the capital is so important for the where you are right now in your business that I would assume having a partnership with a large company like H&M is going to provide you the ability to scale this to then perhaps be working with the smaller upper up and comers. Is, is that right? That is exactly right. Um, we, uh, I mean, we, we think H&M are doing great work uh, around shifting this industry and they have that vision to 100% uh, um, sustainable or recycled and that's really pointing the way uh, for the rest for many of the of the latecomers and of their peers but you know they, they can always do more uh, I what 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 needs to be said uh, about H&M is also they put in money real money into us I think somewhere around 10 million dollars uh, in our scaling thus far. And that's on top of the uh, offtake agreement that they have with us. And they're a 10% stakeholder in the company now. But that's as it should be, because they were part of building up a model that's, that is not sustainable in the future. And what they do have is immense clout to shift value chains in this industry. So the full value chain that stands between us as a raw material provider and uh, H&M as a distributor of textile goods. There are millions of middlemen between us and them that needs to be persuaded that there's actually business in shifting to uh, some other material than the one that they've been working with for a long time. So that is really the, the, um, the responsibility and the duty of brands such as H&M to use that clout and help us to gain you know, the attention of our direct customers, which are viscose fiber producers and their customers in turn, which are the yarn makers. And then after that, the fabric makers. Then uh, on the other side, we need to support these small progressive really brands that are pushing the envelope on all of this. And we do, we, we're, we could, you know, sit back and kind of just devote all of those 10,000 tons and everything to, to the big guys and, 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 and let them use all of it. But we don't, we want to put this material also into, into the uh, kind of trend setting, trend leading brands that, that the big ones follow because that's their model. And so, no, we need to do both. These are the trend leaders that will show the industry the way. And then we have the giants that will shift the value chain through their immense purchasing power and, and make sure that innovations such as ours scale and, and, and get the attention that it needs. You wrapped it up so beautifully. I was just going to say the same thing. For someone who's listening right now who may be new to the conversation and kind of you know battling with these thoughts of like, do we really support these bigger brands? And I know we, sh- we should be ditching them all together, but then we have to remember that we do need to fund this movement. And I was just attending Climate Week in New York City. And what kept coming up was that we need funding for this transition. We need funding to go into a circular economy and we need like funding in all aspects of this uh, revolution, really. And who has that money? It's not going to be the small, just started company who wants to do better. And I think what I'm hearing, and it's becoming pretty clear, is that we need to do this like as a dance in partnership with the bigger companies and the smaller companies. And I think I actually, I mean, I'm Swedish, so maybe I'm biased, but I think H&M, like aside from the fact that they've been destroying the world for so long, they are really trying to take the stand and, and co-creating something something different with the industry because they have this yearly grant that they give out to new innovators um, and new companies that are really trying to pioneer the, the marketplace. So I think you really hit it on the nail. And something I want to emphasize too is for anyone who's listening, it's okay to have questions and thoughts about this because we're not try- here to, to tell anyone what to think. But 
um, just to maybe be more open-minded also to like, okay, you know, what, what, what do we need to support and how can we celebrate all of it at the same time, holding brands accountable and making sure they're not just speaking up for greenwashing. And I'll share just one fact too, that I was actually just talking about with Robin before this recording. And that's something I learned a few years back. And that's that Nike in the early, I think early nineties, they decided to buy up all the supply of organic cotton in the world. And I think it made up like 1% of their one t-shirt line. So they were like, we can't tell the public that we're using 1% organic cotton in their t-shirts. Like it's so tiny, like it's such a small amount that it's almost embarrassing to speak up about it. But because they did that, and since Nike is such a big company, they actually, you know, um, they they were able to cover all the supply of cotton, organic cotton in the world and enable these farmers to continue growing their organic cotton. And from there, you know, they were able to scale and more and more brands were starting to use organic cotton. So I think, you know, we actually owe it to brands, the bigger brands who took those bold steps back in the day to even have those opportunities today. So there's something to be said about bigger companies, even if the actions on a scale look small in comparison, you know, just the fact that they are funding the movement is really, really important. And I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that you guys are doing what you're doing and that a company like H&M are choosing to invest in your success. Yeah. Something that comes up to, for me as well is that I think that we're, we're having this, I'll speak for on a personal level. I'm having a realization over and over again, that binary thinking doesn't serve us. And we've seen that in so many different aspects of the human experience. When it comes to fashion, I think that the cancel culture is something that has been very destructive for certain aspects of, pro uh, of progress. And so rather than looking at a brand that is either good or bad, to accept that every brand is going to have a lot of nuance and a wide range of things that they're doing, and that as the consumer, we can see the things that are being pushed forward and really celebrate those things and continue to put energy and dollars behind the things that are working rather than saying this brand is good, this brand is bad. Because I think I know for myself being somewhat new to this whole you know, climate action movement, I did take a stance at one point of like, this is good and this is bad. And I think that that kind of thinking is really restrictive and zero sum doesn't serve us right now. I, I think all, all very valid ideas and, and I, I agree definitely. And, but I really want to also emphasize that the accountability part is extremely important also in, 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 in uh, you know, keep asking questions. It's definitely, otherwise we're not going to get any action on this way. It's okay to make brands uncomfortable around <laughs> now and then. It's, it's not about that. It's, it's the only way we're going to, you know, keep edging. It's, 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 it's definitely the fact um, that we, accountability is everything and that's you know goes for nike in the 90s as well with the sweatshop kind of problem that they face there and the child labor uh, issues and all of that Rana Plaza and everything like that i mean we need to, consumers should always ask questions and keep doing it and what i think in the future we're going to see a, a kind of divergence as we approach you know 2030 between a brand can't do both really they can't be they can't be 50% sustainable and 50% not. We're going to incorporate that as our, 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 our view of a brand completely. Uh, we're not going to enter that store if we know that you can't have a selection of garments that are sustainable and not sustainable at the same time. That's not going to mm. fit within, within a, a, a brand that's trusted and, and, and that people want to put their dollars to.
Yeah, I love that. What I'm what I'm taking away from this conversation is one, what we were speaking about earlier, that we're in a transitional time and to continue to ask questions and to put pressure on brands to keep doing better. And then also it's not about you know, as we, we've heard other people say, it's not about consuming our way to a better future. It's about the habits that we have around all of the things that we use. And that is certainly true for fashion. So shifting this mindset of something that's disposable to something that we really care for. And that when we, when we use it and we wash it, we take good care of it, we mend it. Um, and when we, it no longer serves us, we're not discarding it. We're finding another like really good home for it in a way, you know, whether it's through clothing swaps or resale markets. Thank you so much for this conversation. One of the questions that we love to ask at the end of any kind of great conversation like this is, are you a climate optimist? Uh, yes. May I, may I expand on that? <laughs> yes. yes, please. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. Are you a climate optimist? Is it, is it, so yeah, why? Yeah, yes or no question. Uh, but, and, and, uh, it's rather like I, I read an article a while ago about solutionism as, a, as another kind of perspective on this. Um, a, a pessimist is kind of irrational in, in their gloomy view of the future and you know, has, no, has no hope for, for anything to change or become better. An optimist is on the other side kind of laid back and inactive and kind of reactive and they both are kind of reactive to whatever developments happening while there's a path for the solutionist that you know take the problem seriously but believe that there's a way to 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 address them uh, through actual proactive work to do something about it and uh, so that's the kind of view that i take and also uh, my colleagues at renew so that there are grave and, and big challenges hairy challenges but if we do the work we can solve a lot of them in that way I, i'm optimist slash solutionist i guess It's really powerful for me to take away from this conversation what an important role funding plays and how either or binary cancel culture thinking does not support the just transition we need into a more sustainable and equitable future. We need that yes and thinking. And we love the solutionist view Harold and Renew Self shared with us. And speaking of solutions, get ready to get excited about the solutions that Cirque is bringing to the world of fashion. Now, Cirque's backstory is pretty wild. Their original purpose was to extract sugars and oil from specialty non-smoking tobacco for biofuels. But they've since innovated beyond biofuels to produce recycled textiles for the fashion industry. Cirque's big differentiator is that they're the only brand recycling and recovering both cotton and polyester from fabrics in any ratio. Let's dive into the next part of this episode and hear from Luke Henning about Cirque and the challenges they are striving to solve. We came from outside the fashion industry. So when we came in, we did a whole lot of research to understand how big the problem was. And the more we dug, the more shocked we became. Mm. You know, one of the big things that I learned coming into this was just how much plastic, for example, goes into our clothing. You know, we, we talk about polyester, but we forget that polyester is derived from oil and is plastic. 
It's yeah. the same plastic that you use for your water bottles. And we use about two and a half times more for our clothing and for fiber than we do for the bottling industry. So it's, it's a massive number. It's like 60 million tons a year of plastic. And then if you go to the next predominant fiber, you get to cotton, but cotton has its own unique challenges. I mean, I love cotton. It's got a great feel, but it's a very thirsty crop. And we use such a tiny amount of the plant to actually produce those fibers. And then you get into the, the, the fact that arable land is declining and it, it becomes challenging. So you still want those nice properties. So you look at where you turn to if you can't make it from cotton and you get to the man-made cellulosic fibers. This is your viscose, your rayon, your lyocells, modal. It's all of those types of fibers. But when we talk to people, most people don't realize that's made from trees. So there are about 200 million trees harvested each year to make clothing. And hopefully all of that's responsibly sourced, but we know there are some challenges in, you know, with deforestation, with land use changes around this. So now you've produced all of this fabric You've produced all of these garments, but then on average, it turns out most people only wear their clothes on average seven times before it's discarded. When we came across how infrequently or how rapidly people dispose of their clothing, we were just absolutely shocked and horrified. So yeah. when you combine all of this, this is where you get to the UN number, the 10% of our carbon budget each year goes to the fashion industry. I mean, that's a, an insane number. And if you take the US as an example, where you've got somewhere between 16 and 18 million tons of textile waste a year going into landfill or being incinerated, it, it, it's absolutely staggering. I mean, only 1% of textile waste is estimated to be recycled back into textiles currently. 1%? And yeah. Ouch. And officially in the US, around 6% is recycled. But when they talk about recycled, they're actually, you know, mechanically um, breaking it down and turning it into like animal, you know, animal pillows or car seat stuffing. It's, you know, more of a downcycling than actually being able to recover it. Wow. So, yeah, I remember when I joined Remake a few years ago and learned about how how quickly people turn over their clothes, you know, just wearing it a few times and then discarding it and how important it is for each of us to really value our clothes and to wear each garment. Um, I think the number was like 30 times or more. And how when you're shopping to think about if you can, you know, can I wear this 30 times or more? And that's one of those, one of the, the small things that has a big impact that consumers can do. But, you know, as you're speaking to the, <laughs> the incredible amount of waste that goes into just producing a garment, it, it's pretty staggering. Well, if you think about that part, for every garment you have in your closet, probably about another garment's worth of waste was generated along the supply chain just to make that garment. Oof. It's so painful. <laughs> it's, it's hard to know these things, I find. Sometimes I feel kind of overwhelmed. It's like, oh boy. But 
The good news is, and this is for our listeners, get ready for some really inspiring information. Enter Cirque. Can you tell us how Cirque got started and how you guys are starting to give us some good news around what is possible in the fashion industry and beyond? Definitely. So Cirque has a a really somewhat interesting and convoluted history because we didn't come from fashion at all. In fact, um, one of the original founders was an immunologist who developed the first polio vaccine Mm. um, ahead of Salk, Dr. Hilary Kaprowski. And then he uh, brought on a family friend, one of our co-founders, Peter Madronowski, to help him turn this new um, crop that he was developing into a source of green chemicals for the green chemical industry, basically producing industrial sugars and oils, but from plants using them as a factory. Hmm. We developed a technology to extract those out of the plants, but the main competition was the petrochemical industry. And at this time, the, the oil price dropped precipitously and investment dried up in the space. And we were thinking what we should be looking to do next. We were looking at stopping maybe at cellulose instead of going all the way to sugars. And someone we were working with said, hey, have you tried running a t-shirt through your process? And we said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We tested it. We very rapidly got to results within a few weeks. We, we got some positive results out. And we went back to them and we said, okay, this works, but, you know, is this actually a thing? Like, are we going to just be try a solution chasing a market? And they said, wait, wait, what? It worked? We were like, yeah. Um, we assumed that people were already doing what we were doing and that we weren't, as I said earlier, aware of how big an issue fashion was. And so we started reaching out then from there rapidly asking questions, going to LinkedIn, finding people, cold calling them to figure out what was going on. We got connected ultimately to Fashion for Good, which is one of the big international industry bodies that's working on, you know, bringing these solutions to brands. And they flew a team out to analyze what we were doing. And once they introduced us to the brands and brands started cold calling us, we realized this was definitely a space we needed to focus our attention on and and play in, actually. We talked about how the fashion industry uses language like recycled and upcycled, but actually that can be misleading, especially for mixed fabric. Here's why. The challenge comes in when you have blended garments because you can't really mechanically separate those and recover the fibers. So... What we developed was a technology where we take the blended polycottons in any ratio and in any color, because our process decolors as part of the process, and Mm. we put this um, in a hydrothermal process. So there's heat and pressure and water and, and some benign chemistry, and we basically dissolve the polyester. So we break it down to its basic chemicals. We break the chemical chains So we can break it back to its building blocks. And then from the liquid, we can recover those building blocks to make new polyester. On the cotton side, every time you put cotton 
through a recycling process, you're going to weaken it. And so, you know, we get out this, this cotton skeleton, basically, as the solid fraction. But it's been weakened by naturally by taking off all of the preservatives that we put on our clothes to keep our cotton from, you know, dying in the washing machine. And so it's not really suitable for respinning directly. So what we did was we took that very pure form of cellulose and converted that into a source of cellulose to replace trees to make the man-made cellulosic fibers. So we take that cotton fraction and we can turn that, for example, into lyocell. So the polycotton gets separated by dissolving out the polyester and breaking it down to its basic building blocks. The cotton goes to lyocell and those polyester monomers go back into making polyester. Luke shared that when Cirque performed a life cycle analysis to compare the energy and water use required to break down fiber to recycle it, that it was still significantly more efficient than using virgin fibers. Cirque is also always looking at ways that they can clean and reuse their water as well as sourcing renewable energy. So yes, there's a lot that can be saved by using recycling technologies like the one developed by Cirque. There, there is another key point here, and that's not just about the, 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 the inputs that go into processing like this, but also when you're pulling oil out of the ground, you're basically taking sequestered carbon that's under the ground and mm-hmm. bringing it above ground and you know, putting it into the cycle that goes into the atmosphere and goes into our, our natural living environment. So these are challenges that you're trying to avoid. As much as possible, you don't want to be pulling from extractive industries anymore. Yeah, that's such a good point. And there's more applications to this too, right? Like this is an amazing, I, I feel like you've just really like hit this amazing like jackpot in terms of the fashion industry, but what are some of the other applications of this technology? Uh, well, since you're working with uh, PT, polyester, it's one of the most commonly used plastics that we use in in all sorts of industries. So in theory, you could, instead of taking bottles and putting them into clothing, you could be clothing into bottles and vice versa, creating almost less of a circle if you wanted, but more of a, to be cheesy, you know, like more of an infinity symbol as you move in and out of industries um, in that sort of way. But also cellulose has a wide range of applications that most people don't realize. We use cellulose in a lot of things from, medication to cosmetics to food huh. it's everywhere yeah i yeah i wouldn't have known any of those so. I, I wouldn't necessarily suggest that we use our cellulose for you know um it, that you eat your old clothes but uh, <laughs> yeah and is it is it endless like can you keep doing this process over and over again or is there, there does there come a point when a product you know especially like petroleum based is not able to be recycled in this way anymore actually on the petroleum side you can do it pretty consistently and constantly because what you're doing is you're breaking down the polyester to get to its basic chemicals so you when you put it back together you're essentially regenerating it into new polyester each time on the cellulose side it's a natural material and it will naturally degrade Uh, you know in the same way you can't recycle paper infinitely Hmm. They, after uh, after a few 
applications, what's going to happen is it's basically going to become too weak to be reused. So you'd be able to process the cellulose material, that viscose, that lyocell through the process a few times as well. But ultimately, it's going to weaken to the point where it's not suitable for a fashion application for making back into fiber. So that is, that is definitely a consideration. Mm-hmm. You know, aluminium is something that's, that, that's more something where you can take it and recycle it and the re- same sort of thing. You can use it over and over again, but with your cellulosics, it will, it will degrade over time. Mm-hmm. But if it's a natural fiber, I would think that um, when, it, when it comes to its like end of life, it's, it's kind around the earth to dispose of as well. Well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's something that would degrade naturally in the environment. Mm-hmm. Your cellulose is something, it's the, probably the most common natural building block on our planet. And so the, the earth knows very well how to deal with it. Yeah. Wow. What an incredible thing that you guys have created. Like, this is just so exciting. What a, what a game changer. I mean, I, I'm curious if there's, if there's any resistance to this, because so, so one of the things I noticed on your website, I love this line. You said today, we're basically do-gooding nerds with a penchant for speaking truth to power, dead set on fixing fashion. And I love that idea. Cause it really feels like you're really changing the game. Like this is industry disrupting stuff that we're talking about here. Is there resistance to this kind of technology coming into the fashion space? There is. And I I say that because it's actually a a slightly complicated thing in that the brands have made a lot of commitments to their customers that they will transform and use more circular content, more recycled content. The challenge comes in, in that they are not the users and buyers of the recycled content. It's their supply chain that ultimately are the people who would be processing this. And you know, these are very old and established industries Mm -hmm. and to keep our clothing as cheap as it's been kept, what's ultimately been happening is they have to run massive processes that run 24 seven at razor thin margins. So, you know, stopping that to put in new fibers or to make changes is very costly. And, it's the support for the investment that needs to happen at that stage, which is tricky, actually, because, you know, the question becomes who's going to finance this? Because yeah. the, any changes that happen, happen in the supply chain, not with the brands, and the brands have most of the power and a lot of the profit as well, functionally. So it would, it would take brands making the commitment to to work with, like either to help their supply chain change or just to use different, um, like different manufacturers. Is that what I'm, what I'm hearing? No, I think it would take the brands working together with their supply chain to help them actually in a way, almost finance any of the changes to equipment because otherwise all the risk of new technology sits with the supply chain, yeah. not with the, the brands who are the ultimate beneficiaries for the, you know, because they're the people who ultimately generate those profits by selling these products to consumers. So I think there's a bit of a need for a risk sharing model in a way where the brands 
are willing to contribute financially in some way, either if it's through guaranteed offtakes, possibly even uh, maybe a bit more expense where they put in more money into their supply chain for a certain time period to get this change done. Or they assist the supply chain in just being able to raise the financing you know, through debt by showing that deep level of support for what they want done. Mm-hmm. It, we, we just went through a fashion for good project, which was actually all around this, where it was trying to bring the brands and the supply chain together at the same table with the innovators to try and you know, build this communication around these sorts of issues. And how was that? How, how, did, that, how did those conversations to go? Were, oh, it, you were seeing brands that were that like were ready to get on board with that? Definitely. And the brands are now much more, you know, they could see exactly what it took to get all the way through to their garments. And so we've, we've, we've got some beautiful garments that were made and it's deepened that understanding of what needs to happen in the supply chain and how all these parties need to work together. I would say the awareness and is definitely coming there. And if you talk to me about, you know, the ability to finance any sort of new technology three years ago or two years ago, it was radically different to where it is today, where the industry has definitely recognized the need for change and is now starting to do what they can to support the financing of this change. Brands are taking note of all the noise that we, the consumers and concerned citizens, are making about sustainable fashion. Public pressure, global conversations like COP26, a shift in spending habits towards more sustainable options, and I also hope we'll continue to see more public policy around this as well. This all plays a part in influencing how brands approach their products and supply chains. There are brands who are now coming to the foreground that are sustainability first and they are starting to make substantial inroads into traditional markets. We have uh, Patagonia as one of our investors. Yeah, I saw that. You know, it's, it's very inspiring to work with such a pioneer actually in this, you know, sustainable fashion space with the idea of people who really focus on when they design garments, they think about that very much. How do we make something that will really last? Yeah. And this doesn't even speak to the side of the, like ethically made in terms of we're also demanding brands to get on board with paying their their supply chain and their garment workers a living wage. So there's there's a lot of adjustments that brands are going to have to get on board with in order to to. I feel like we're in such a time of transition we're really at this time of reckoning where we're like, wow, there's a lot that we've been doing that has not been working and we need to do better. Um, but it is very inspiring to hear about brands that really are leading the charge and, and showing us that you know these things are absolutely possible and necessary. I loved seeing that Cirque talks about speaking truth to power on their website. And I was curious if Luke sees a lot of people with lived experience, BIPOC and women in the tech space that he's in, because without diverse representation, I think the truth that is spoken is fairly narrow. Here's what we had to say. Unfortunately, there is a, there's a lack of diversity 
in the space in some extent just because of the structural and endemic you know problems of where you're drawing your talent pool from for a lot of tech we sit at the intersection of industries of pulp and paper chemical engineering and you know probably heavy textile industry and when you look at those industries and where they draw their pool of talent from it's traditionally pretty white and male so it's an an issue for our perspective we're very much acutely aware of and something we think about and are looking to work very actively on and in fact our our most senior executive hire let's hire was Dr Julie Willoughby and probably our next most senior hire recently was Shannon Parker now both amazing candidates and we were really lucky to find them i think if you come more from the fashion industry that's much more um, at least gender diverse and so you're seeing you know people who move from that side into the tech space there's a lot more diversity there but it, it it's a challenge that everyone is facing and everyone is working on yeah yeah i hear that i mean it's it's um it's going to be very interesting to see how um how companies can incorporate more you know diverse like specifically seeking diverse candidates um and and how we can get just more diverse representation all across the board because as we know you know women and people of color traditionally are more impacted by the effects of climate change and there's incredible grassroots organizations that are leading the charge in many ways you know boots on the ground but in terms of you know leaders and executives and and thought leaders and you know people who are having influence at the level that you guys are in your tech space um it would be really amazing to see just more representation of diverse voices to to bring in the um the thought leadership around these solutions as well so i'm glad to hear that that's something that you guys are aware of and talking about and working towards and it's just something that i think for all of us to keep thinking about you know what are the what are the conversations that we need to be having with the people around us to um to create a, a more equitable playing field for all of us because when we have an equitable world it really benefits every single person so i'm yeah i'm glad to hear that that's something that you guys are aware of and are talking about as well it's so important that we continue to look at sustainability through an intersectional lens everything is connected so let's keep talking about racial equity gender equity dismantling ableism breaking down economic barriers for all folks and supporting a culture of inclusion for all people of all orientations while we continue to talk about and take action around climate change that to me is what climate justice is all about and it's the only way to a climate just future i asked luke what he thought the future of fashion looked like This is a an interesting question in a way because when we look at how fashion is evolving you know we've got a growing global population we've got a lot of people who thankfully are coming out of poverty and we've got a growing middle class but when that happens one of the first things people look to is how do they brand themselves with the sort of status and one of the key ways we brand ourselves is with our clothing And so mm-hmm. I do see consumption increasing funnily enough on clothing. But I do see us overall moving to clothing 
that is higher quality, longer lasting. I see people focusing more on sustainable clothing, realizing the consequences of fashion, because I think it's going to be inevitably tied to the broader challenges around climate change. And yeah. so I, I definitely see that as a, a factor. What I ultimately see is us working to recycle as much material as possible so that effectively you're no longer reliant on extractive industries to get those materials that you would use for those textiles and so that you can keep them cycling in the economy both longer but also then keeping refreshing the cycle through reclaiming those molecules in a way. You know, when we look at this, we think about, we would like to see everyone wear the same molecules essentially for life because mm, we have wow. all the clothes we need almost to make all the clothes we would ever need. So if we can just keep those materials in circulation, we can clothe the planet. That is such an incredible concept to think about, you know, and I love, I love that the space that you're coming from, you call it the molecules, but you know, we have all the molecules that we need already to make all the clothes we will ever need. That is very exciting and very powerful. Thank you for sharing that vision of the future with us. That's, that's very hopeful. One of the questions that we like to ask our guests is, are you a climate optimist and why or why not? I would say on balance, yes, it's, it's difficult to be a, a climate optimist when you work in clean tech mm. and renewable because you are acutely aware of um, what's going on in, in the world from that perspective because you watch the space so actively and there are a lot of very worrying signs and problematic reports that come out and it's it's very easy to focus on the negative in a lot of ways, but I, fundamentally I'm an optimist and I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because we are finding ways to get cleaner and cleaner energy at lower and lower cost. And that is a key enabler for us to be able to transform molecules back into that sort of virgin state for reuse. And so I expect that we will move with that energy to the reindustrial revolution, converting the current industry we have to a circular one. And when we're able to do that, I think we're able to do a lot in terms of mitigating the, I, I would say the damage that's been done. So I think on balance, the technology is coming out that will enable us to, with a lot of effort and a lot of investment and a lot of work, hopefully solve a lot of these climate challenges that we're seeing. So yes, the fashion industry has a host of challenges that need solutions like the ones that Cirque and Renewcell are striving to address. And we also want to say thank you to you, our listeners, for continuing 
these important conversations beyond the show, whether your friends, your family, your colleagues, people on the streets, because the more we talk about it, the faster we can start to pivot into a much better future. Yes, absolutely. We're all in this together and the solutions we need might be just around the corner or from some other industry. Each of us has a role to play to create a better future. And we hope that this episode on the Hey Change podcast was for you, informative and inspiring. The solutions are out there. So keep going. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Hey Change podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please share this episode with friends, family, or someone in your network. Also, don't forget to give it five stars in the app so that we can reach more listeners just like you. We love hearing from our listeners, so please tag us when you share this episode on social media. We'd love to connect with you and learn about what you are doing too. You can find where to reach us in the show notes. Before you go, we'd like to invite you to pause and to leave you with this one final question. What does being an optimist in action mean to you?